Hi, welcome to the Creative Review podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, and for today's podcast, I'm very lucky I'm at the studio of artist and puppet maker Andy Gent in East London. This may mean that you hear the odd sort of sound of drilling or other noises, but hopefully that will add to the atmosphere. If you're a fan of stop motion films, then you'll already be very familiar with Andy's work, which is featured in films including Coraline and Fantastic Mr Fox, as well as in ads for brands including Sainsbury's and Coca-Cola. He's perhaps most famous, though, for his work on Wes Anderson's last movie, Isle of Dogs, which was an enormous undertaking for Gent, involving the creation of hundreds, if not thousands, of puppets. The result was a beautiful, charming film. So today we're going to talk about how Gent first started his career as a puppet maker and how his career and the industry has evolved during his time in it. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi there. Nice to meet you. So first of all, let's start with Isle of Dogs because that's the, the yeah. feels like the pinnacle. <laughs> Would you say that's the pinnacle? Yeah, I don't think I think everything's been leading quite nicely up to um, work on Isle of Dogs. It's by far the biggest project I've ever had to run and work on. You know, there's character-wise three times bigger than any other film I've ever done. Okay. And we've done some fairly big films in the past, but yeah, no, you're right. This is this is something else to do. So, so how, what was the backstory? Because you'd worked with Wes Anderson before, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd worked with him on Fox. I just, I'd been working on Coraline um, and set up the uh, sort of rigging and technical effects part of that over in the states. And then um, I was asked if I knew anybody that uh, would be interested in getting involved with uh, the puppets on. Uh, fantastic mr fox and i said yeah i'd absolutely love to go and do that that sounds brilliant um so i um i decided to uh just before Caroline was about halfway through i decided to come back and 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 run this i'd i'd run um uh the the on-site part of a film called max and co in switzerland so i've been living in switzerland then I had a week between Switzerland and America, okay. so I went to live in Portland, and then I had two which weeks. Which is where two, Fox was done. Which, well, okay. well, Coraline was in, in Portland, in Oregon, okay, right. so I was there for a little while, and then uh, literally came back two weeks after that, I'd started work on Fox here in, in London, in East London, at a oh. studio that we'd shot Corpse Bride in, called Three Mills, just down the River Lee from where we are now. Okay. Um, and so we had... Um, we started the, the the puppet hospital and the puppet workshop to build all the background characters and some of the lead characters for that. You have to s- explain what the puppet hospital is. So right? uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we we have two sort of uh, two sort of teams that work on it. We'll have the the puppet workshop where we design and fabricate everything, and on Fox that was split between a, a company called McKinnon Saunders and and ourselves on site. But then. We have a, a special team of people that run the Puppet Hospital. <laughs> and the, the Puppet Hospital favourably sort of became known because that's where they would go to get repaired. Yeah. Um, these things are tiny little uh, mechanical uh, marvels and they, they, um, they get moved around by giants every day. So, you know, you've got something that's from a, an inch tall, even smaller if it's a little wire puppet, to something that's several inches tall, uh, with hundreds of working parts inside, from tiny teeth to little ears and um, glass eyes, Mm. some the size of pinheads. Um, And then you've got a six-foot animator that's pushing and pulling them around to get through a performance in a shot. 
and so occasionally little bits and pieces break or wear out and so it has to go to the doctors and nurses in the public hospital where it gets fixed or washed or whatever and a new hand grafted on or whatever it needs a new tail or an ear being repaired yeah and then it carries on to be shot so yeah that's where the, the beautiful and that's, a, that's the standard thing is it it is now it's been it's been uh, adopted by everybody i think you'll find on every stop motion film there is everybody says oh it goes to the public hospital now after this shot oh <laughs> i like that that's yeah. nice like it brings just in stop motion terms it brings quite a nice visual to yeah mind. yeah it does <laughs> They're alive, don't forget, at the end of the day, so they have to be looked Absolutely. after. Yeah. Okay, so that so Fox and obviously that so was, yeah that so was big. so that Fox was quite big and was also a learning experience for us. So prior to that, we'd been on films that were uh, like Corpse Bride for Timber and uh, Coraline for Henry Selick, where we were trying to make things um, very uh, sort of slick, but the world that we were up against was a very heavy CG, very technically uh, capable um, style of animation where anything was possible and it could be very slick and you didn't mm. have to worry about the sort of physicality of things and so we were trying to make smooth you know shooting on singles uh, which is one frame per picture okay. um, and there's 24 uh, frames to make one second of film so uh, if you shoot on singles it's as smooth as it can be yeah um, and like so Wallace and Gromit could be shot on twos or whatever and you get different styles of animation so you shoot on singles to make it look really slick and we were trying to to make everything you know seamless uh, and then uh, we came we came on to Fox where Wes had very different ideas mm. <laughs> as is often the case he he was looking for something, something you know for himself that yeah. was different again um and he he liked Ramonda Renard and he liked old pre uh, video assist animation that was done where you were shooting with a film camera we couldn't see what you were shooting for days okay um with real firm first something we avoided like the plague on right. stop motion because it boils which means it it moves and wriggles around on shooting like the original king kong you'll see his fur moving in odd ways it's because they couldn't see what they were touching and it not knowing what it looked like yeah but it also gives it a certain look yeah yeah and wes really wanted to capture some of this pre-technical uh, sort of age of, of, of style. So and that so, was exciting for you, presumably? Uh, it was slightly terrifying because we yeah. were like, oh, how the, you know, how the heck are we going to get this done? Um, and um, real costumes, real fur, um, upright talking creatures. It, it could go, it could go, I think a lot of us thought this could go horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, but we, we had a lot of experience dealing with a lot of different materials and between all of the talents involved we sort of work something out but um you know a lot of the time we were we were very hopeful we weren't confident yeah of what it was going to be and did did Wes Anderson did he kind of guide that sort of sense that it was all yeah be all right? absolutely I mean he he'd got a very good idea of what he wanted and we had to find our way a little bit so we'd come from where we thought we were pretty well knew everything there was to do with stop motion animation we'd done hundreds of commercials we'd done several feature films we had a lot of experience um, but stylistically he was pushing it into a whole new direction that seemed to go loggerheads with where we'd been yeah. so there was a big leap of faith into this world of going is this gonna is this the right way to do this um, and as we got through it all you know you, you're seeing shots going well it could be if we did it this way it could be better but it wouldn't look like this mm. and then eventually we we you know we all sat down the crew screening and was like Ah, <laughs> it does look quite good, doesn't it? It's really different to everything else we've seen before. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think he'd um, 
he, he knew what he was doing. We just had to, you know, learn the faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Budapest Hotel came in between. Uh, then after that, we yeah we had a little we had a little break. Yeah, obviously, and we um, uh, Wes asked me if I could uh, do the little skiing sequence on Grand Hotel Budapest. Uh, which we had a few weeks to sculpt some tiny, tiny little characters about the same size as your index finger, uh, and then build this giant set of snow and make them sort of high speed skate down there, which we shot in tests in the aisle of my workshop just to just to see how it goes. It's all very low tech um, to start with, and then um, we shot that um, over a few weeks over at uh, Clapham Road Studios in in Southwest London. Um, and that was a lot of that was a huge amount of fun. But then you realise that uh, instead of being sort of terrified of talking to Wes Anderson, you are you are having a, a sort of nice, much more friendly because everybody trusted each other's abilities. Yeah, you know, and you'd he established your yeah, and and he likes uh, he does like to um, work with people once he's once he's got a relationship with them. It feels like he likes to stick with those teams of people and you can have more and more sort of freer conversations to get things going because yeah. it's, it's quite it, it's quite perturbing working with a big director for the first time for everybody and you know and Wes, Wes was a superstar when we started yeah. with him on, on those and it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger is he a on that note is he a kind of friendly guy like is he oh he's easy? very charming and um i think a little a little reserved yeah. um but um yeah n now it's a different it's a different world to where we started on Fox. You know, yeah, we, we have a very different um, relationship now to uh, with that. But you know, equally, where you're you're never sure where he's going to take you, and that's kind of the fun part to it all. He's an incredibly creative um, uh, guy, and you, you'll you think you know, but you never know. We we've always said we can we can never ever double guess where's Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yes, because we were talking about this before we started recording about how he he doesn't. While he definitely had, there's a sort of there's a stylistic thing. I mean, we have written in Creative Review quite a bit about this sort of the color palette and the the kind of Wes Anderson vibe. But he he doesn't actually repeat himself that much. And certainly, Isle of Dogs again was a kind of very new exactly. Feel. I mean, you know, you you get the uh, the style of Wes Anderson. You often hear it mentioned. Oh, that's like just like a Wes Anderson thing. Yeah. But what is that? That's the thing that's interesting about him. All that's you, all the people following him. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. Exactly. And then he moves it on again. I think. You know. Uh, yeah, and he does. He changes things around. It's like, well, we don't want it to be like that. Will be something he said. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to do it in that style. We want to create our own style but there's something about this that we'll like parts of so he, he you know he he mixes things up um he's got very strong sensibility about everything he's you know framing's very important to him um and certain things some things are way more important on with him and some things are very unimportant to him that would be you know, a huge thing on with another person yeah. on a film um so, and that and that seems to get refreshed every time you work with him it, there'll be something new that he's he's pulling on and you know we're about to start um some work with him on his new film where he's got some um, a little bit of uh, work that we've got to do for that just model work so there, there's there's elements he likes to to change it around but i do, i think he really likes stop motion that's one of the things that comes over um I think anybody that likes to make things, if you like stop motion, you can create everything in your world yeah. and you can have everything exactly as you want it to be. 
but in in a way beyond what you can even achieve in live action. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's an element of sort of control, perhaps, in there. For sure, I think so. I think he's, you know, if as a director, uh, there is that. You you want to control. You're trying to mould and make the thing that you want it to be. So there's an element of control for sure. But um, creative control with him's a lot of fun as a journey to be on as well. Well, yes, because you said when you with Isle of Dogs, uh, when he first started talking about the dogs, he said, "Just make me some dogs." Is that right? That's yeah, his, his opening gambit was, um, "Oh, you know, Andy, let's we'll just sculpt some dogs." And we we're like, "Well, what kind of dogs?" Well, you know, just some dogs, and then let's see how it takes us from there. Yeah, so which is very free. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be making anything, to have somebody like that say, "Well, you know, I trust you. You just sculpt some things, and let's see," and which we did. We did this very short quick sketch sculpt so I call the sort of Giacometti style and um, you know a day of sculpt and then we did 60 of those between the few sculptors that we had in and uh, he soon went well I like this one I like that one can we put a bit of this one on that one and and then over a period of months we developed the characters until you hit that moment where he said that's it that's the one character that's don't change it and then we go through the whole process of making that into a puppet and trying to keep it looking like this piece of plasticine that we started with at the beginning and yet, at the end, has got to be a fully furred talking dog. Yeah, I was going to ask you where where the character ideas come from, but I'm, the way you describe that is it's quite an amalgamation. Of it's stuff. a total, you know, like what I think is what I'd sculpt as a dog to what you'd sculpt as a dog are very different. Yeah. We are, we have like I've got a chocolate Labrador, so there might be a tendency to go to that, but then somebody else might have a, you know. So you have your favourites. Yeah. Uh, as I walk around the park, or as I walk around Victoria Park, I would often photograph people's okay, dogs, so there was dog some walking. sort of element of yeah because you go oh, i like that look at the ears on that one that one's amazing we can have that and look how his fur's matted at the end and wes had done some little sketches to say they've got to be really rough and scratchy and he'd sent some some um fur references over from street dogs that he liked the vibe of but uh the, you couldn't character design them there was no there was he didn't want them to be necessarily pure bred dogs they were going to be mutts so um, it was a real cocktail of all sorts of dogs and we had to just find our way through it all which yeah. is yeah nice brief and did you know the actors because there's obviously this idea that you a dog looks like their, their <laughs> owner <laughs> I mean does a dog look like the, the actor's voice or yeah how much sometimes that you know well. sometimes the uh, sometimes we do know um, and sometimes we don't uh, we were just chatting earlier that um, you soon you could soon see that um, boss's character was going to be Bill Murray mm. Um but um and did that change how you thought of it though when you yeah i think and we and i i'd rather n- unless there was some really strong reason for us to build a character in if it's got to look like a person it's probably best not to know because you 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 don't you don't want to feel restricted into making him look like a certain person but some um some characters become synonymous with the voice fantastic mr fox yeah of course i can't even think of him being anything other than george clooney although i saw a um I saw a, a was it a French version of it, and it sounded like George Clooney then. So it was almost like they'd found somebody. Think, well, they often do then when yeah. they uh, with Isle of Dogs. That confused me though. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is George Clooney doing it in French? That's yeah. even more impressive. And he <laughs> even manages to whistle in French. Yeah, How exactly. does that work? Um, but yeah, the uh, Wes interestingly got an entire uh, French cast on to revoice Isle of Dogs. Um, and his choices were were amazing on that, and again, not necessarily what you would imagine. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes, some studios will look for a voice that reflects the original, 
okay. English version. I mean, he's a, very much a, a details man, and actually, because you think often, I feel like those are the sort of things that feel that are often a bit lazily done. But you saying that? Of no, course not he, at all. He really there is can't. nothing. There is nothing in yeah. any Wes Anderson film that hasn't been scrutinised by Wes Anderson. But believe me. Um, we on on Isle of Dogs. I think we from the script read and the original passes. I thought there was going to be three hundred and something characters. It turned into eleven hundred, just over eleven hundred, with thousands of extras in crowd shots and you know tens of thousands of sculpted faces to do all the various parts. And I can guarantee that any freckle that wasn't in the right place on any one character, he would go. Well, I think we just need to move that one. His yeah. attention. The detail is as amazing as his ability to create stories. Yeah, and of course, when you think of the scale, because we, having looked around the studio earlier, it is quite incredible to see how small most of the sculptures are. And I suppose when you then project those huge, those details, actually, it's not just fastidiousness; it's actual. Yeah, it's infectious. You have to become you have to become uh, a detail freak as well, because yeah. you know if we're making something that's. Uh, if you're making something that's six millimetres tall uh, and and it's got to have writing on it uh, or it's got to have something inlaid, when you project that so it's the same size as a mini or something at yeah. the you know, Empire Leicester Square, if it's not absolutely perfect as a miniature, it, boy, will it not look so good when it's projected. Yes. So you're working the wrong way around to project things. If you were smart, you'd make everything way, way bigger than we do. But yeah. But then if you want to have a football field full of puppets running around with airplanes flying over, you can't make them big, otherwise that would be the only thing you'd shoot in your stage. Yeah. So, yeah. and on the films we'd often shoot, you know, we'd often have 50 stages going at the same time, mm. of which 25 might be shot, 25 might be being built on, getting ready for an animator to move from one to another. So you've got to schedule all of this out. So being able to work in different scales is something that we, um, you know, we do often. But again, there was something that Wes really pushed us on hard on um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. The first thing you see on Fantastic Mr. Fox was some of the smallest puppets we'd ever built. Okay. And we were like, why are you showing the little ones in the opening? You know, why not show the glorious hero ones that, could, that can laugh, smile, talk and everything like that? And it's like, well, no, if you set the scene up, people will trust you and will run with how you're doing this. Yeah. You, but you've got to be brave and set the, and the style up. The, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that, that's clever. That's how you should work it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save the big moments for later yeah. on. Yeah, so you yeah. do become obsessed with detail. As you said, it's very important that if you're, if you're making, if you're character design and a character fabrication, you know, if, if a character has a zip or on him does it have any writing on it and this thing is two millimeters long and a millimeter wide but yeah. we will endeavor to make sure it has the correct branding on it that's required by the director i know and it and it certainly <laughs> i mean whether what whether this speaks to my character or not but but i really feel you notice that stuff and that oh, especially of wes anderson that is the charm but also i mean you've worked with tim burton quite a lot and yeah. he obviously had very different feel to his films but similarly there feels like there's a, a detail uh, there. absolutely and i think Part of that is stop motion because yeah. you you know you know what things are in reality you know first fur you know hair's hair you, you you know you know proportions of things so if you play around with any of these things you've got to make them credible and the devil's really much in the detail of it all all, all those things making sure that the the right um, strands of colour in a in an iris that's five millimetres across has got to be hand painted in and it's got to be replicated if you've got a ring on a character's finger those skiers on Grand Hotel Budapest like I say being, they're, they're the same length as your index finger but Wes was keen for us to make sure that the 
death's head knuckle dusters that Joplin was wearing were sculpted on them. And so we have actually got knuckle dusters on a character that you see flying down yeah. that ski road. But the details there. Yeah. Uh, and and you you make sure you get it there because you don't want anything to let it down. You're you're trying very hard to give them as much life as you can possibly give them. And a, a lot of the credibility of these things is in the these little details and how things move and and, and what you've managed to achieve in it all. Yeah. Um, and then you obviously are down to the animators to then make them actually breathe. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So details. I think if you think of certain things of stop motion, I would think of of the details. But then I think of the time, and maybe Isle of Dogs gives quite a good indication of just how long it takes to, to. Although maybe actually it was reasonably quick, considering that was a whole film, but. Yeah, I mean, how long was it from from start to um, you? You know, we I I'd had the conversation about oh look at this little film clip and read the script, um, and then you know let's discuss how we're going to do it, and then four months of quiet while Uh, everybody yeah so (laughs) it starts off with a gap, and then the next thing you know is like well let's start sculpting tomorrow, and then from that day. And are you able to do that if someone says, "Let's," someone like Wes Anderson says, "Let's start tomorrow." You can just drop everything. I've done it. There. Well, I had a um, yeah, pretty well. Yeah. I can always. You know what the right thing is. Well, we've done. I've got a big enough team. I had a team of sixty-eight people in total on Isle of Dogs. Um, the film I've just been scheduling would would require a ninety-strong team of model makers. Um, you know, of every skill and and department to do it. So. Um, at the moment, in the UK, is super busy with films. We're a, a hub for a lot of feature films, particularly live action and the big sort of blockbusters. So there's an awful big talent pool to pick from. But mm. the stop motion talent pool here has just been going for a very long period of time. So there are some amazing makers in the UK, beyond that anywhere else in the world. And uh, uh, we're very lucky that we can pull from those. You know, Ardmans have got a, a big credit on that because yeah. they've kept a big pool of people. And, and the whole team in Manchester um, from TV shows and, and puppet making. So there's there's and the L- the London crowd as well that you know have been here filming the things and animating them and building stuff. So there's a there's a good crew of people that um, facilitate that. But yeah, it, it, the only thing that would stop us is um, is if we've got another job on when I get the phone call to come yeah, in. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I think when you get those phone calls, you just kind of find a way. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah, make yeah. it happen, you don't want to not. Uh, make that happen when it, yeah. that call comes in and then we, you know from that point of saying well let's start sculpting tomorrow I think we were on it for the best part of three years Yeah. Um, and the crew got very big very quickly uh, okay. within seven months we were up to 50 odd people and then the public hospital kicked in another 10 people and then um, you know we're, our lifespan precedes the shooting of the film because we've got to develop the characters and get everything ready it's generally the longest part of the build is the puppet fabrication on a stop motion film and then the art department will start building sets after we've started and then eventually you'll get the studio set up and the animators will come in and start testing things and then we'll start shooting shooting puppets in anger if you will yeah. and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, you know the visual effects will come in the post and the comping and all the other various elements that put it all together yeah. um, and then we'll deliver a film but Overall, the actual shoot is about 18 months, very efficient. Yeah. We're shooting so many scenes at the same time um, that, you know, even shooting it um, in other, other media like 2D or CG um, takes quite a lot of render time and a lot of effort. So 
they're very similar to each other. Um, uh, a lot of things, if anything, once it's been shot on stop motion, it can be entirely in camera and there's nothing else to do to it. Um, you know, yeah. each, each one is different when you look at it. Yeah. So just th thinking about that and thinking about your kind of character, like what, how did it all begin for you? Like, let's wind back to this. I mean, did you, what did you study? How did you end up in this place? I, um, well, my dad's a cabinet maker. Okay, um, so there was making there. Very high-end cabinet yeah. maker. And so from nine, I was encouraged to know how to make things and build my own toys. Okay. I start, my, <laughs> the first thing I ever built that I remember was a uh, an Atat walker out of pine that was the same size as my Stormtrooper. So I could have this giant thing and play with all my Star Wars figures with my friends, which was... Wow. I think this has got to be a significant trigger because yeah. I can remember that. <laughs> uh, and then I, I was fascinated by automata, making little mechanical toys. That I got hooked on that pretty quickly. But all manner of making models and painting figures and all of that thing was very much, I remember that as a kid. Yeah. Um, I decided that I, it was going to be furniture or illustration. Um, and luckily for me, I, I found graphic design and illustration, which I studied at Kingston University. Okay. Um, and, and and had some good fortune that the course there is a brilliant course. It enabled, it had freelance lecturers who were working um, artists to come in to give you briefs. So you were used to, you know, doing things in a timely manner, and there were briefs that they'd had themselves. Um, and one of the one of the lecturers. Uh, squeaky Dave, uh, he uh, he was uh, a, a past student and had done a lot of really nice bits of animation and uh, that caught my eye. Mm. But there was a technician who was a um, rostrum cameraman on A Matter of Life and Death um, uh, who was amazing um, uh, uh, sort of influence on getting me hooked into stop motion. And uh, Channel 4 as well for formations, which back when I was a student that was like the, the thing to watch on a Friday was mm. all these little short films Yeah, and it yeah. was the short films th that were just like oh, I want to make one of those that's amazing it tells a story characters come alive and at the end they had a little documentary um, uh, featurette um, with the guys who'd made The Sandman which is a massively influential stop motion film and uh, and it dawned on me because they said well we, we've been making children's TV shows and I was going oh they get paid to do this. Mm. This is the way forward. I'll, I ought to do this as a try and get into it. And was there, in terms of commer like commercial opportunities or, or opportunities to do stuff then in, with films or with ads or whatever, was there much going on? Was there interest in stop motion at this point? There was, yeah, there was, it was still quite uh, prolific in advertising. Mm. Uh, Ardman's were doing their stuff and Tim Burton had made The Nightmare Before Christmas, which, if I remember rightly, w didn't get such a wide... Um, audience at the cinema but became this huge success post its um, delivery into the big screen mm. um, merchandising and design wise it, it sort of projected it and so that that I remember seeing going oh this is amazing and, and adverts on television that people like Dennis Russo had made and, and, and uh, Barry Leith and all these people yeah. and I managed to get a runner's job um, but by the end of my first week running, I was the background animator with a guy called Boris Cosmo on a Golden Wonders advert okay. for crisps. And I was just thinking, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm making tea, sweeping the floor, and then I'm animating a cow in a barber's shop. It's yeah. just like, what's So not, you knew then you'd found I was pretty thing. hooked. And I, I literally finished university Friday, started work on Monday. I, I couldn't have been any luckier. Yeah. And I didn't stop for the next three years. 
um, and then managed to get onto other projects, short films, more hundreds of commercials, and I, my, the list of commercials now is I, can't have, I lost track after about four hundred commercials. Okay. And we've we've um, then got onto Corpse Bride, which is the tipping point for me of getting into features and feature films was something that I, I, once you've been lucky enough to have a go at a stop motion feature film it's it's incredibly addictive you just want to yeah. do that again presumably because of the depth of the narrative yeah, and been everything. able to explore yeah. a story and and really contribute to something that's long term and also um commercials are amazing things they're very high quality but very short-lived yeah whereas a feature film has got the best of all worlds it's very high quality and they outlive their time they keep going for a on and on and on and yeah suspect actually especially stop motion because it doesn't you know if it's done well it doesn't really age actually yeah it's sort of still and for new sets of and kids new sets and of kids see yeah, it again yeah. with fresh eyes and yeah. so you know like fox is one that i often get now where people say oh we want you to look like fox uh or it's my favorite film is fox and you're like oh, and we we even had this comment where we had to go in to do a talk about stop motion animation because they wanted to show some creative guys uh, this new thing in animation called stop motion and they were talking about the fantastic <laughs> mr fox on that one right. which, which fantastic mr fox in many ways w was quite a new departure because of this challenging going backwards in time look on it all which yeah. wasn't where we were heading at the time so he's reinvented yeah. a medium in some ways yes i mean do you think without wes anderson stop motion would be where it is right now i think Wes and Tim are both massively uh, important to it all. And I think Henry Selick as well. Because, and, and in the UK, we mustn't forget Ardman's because of course, of course, all of actually. these people yeah. contribute to films that keep it very much alive and in the, in the mind's eye. But, but on, on Corpse Bride, um, we all sat as a group of uh, people working on the film. And I remember, I distinctly remember having a conversation where we were going, wow, we got to work on the last stop motion film that's ever going to be made. Yeah. And now I'm. I'm looking at eight stop motion films around the planet, which you would never in a million years have envisaged there'd be this amount of interest in the work and with so many diverse Guillermo del Toro's doing Pinocchio. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got Wes doing sequences of stuff and has just finished on Isle of Dogs, you've got Tim, you've got you know, Ardman's doing this just films everywhere. Uh, even um uh even the, the sort of Czech and Estonian world that you, they're making feature films again it, it's amazing it's it's obviously got the legs uh it's obviously got a lot of interest and there's an awful lot of craft and everybody reinvents it and does it in different ways which means it's very fresh yeah so um yeah the sky's the limit at the moment so if it? you were like a if you're a young someone at university now wanting to do it you, the opportunities are really there i think way. it's there is no better time than the present to do yeah. it there you know there were no courses available like I say, I did graphics and illustration and just did 3D. I made things and then found my way of building stuff. But now you can actually go to various model-making courses and 3D design courses. There's more access to things. There's there's more people that know about it that you can you can get work experience with. There's more places making things, so there's more people need yeah. for more trained uh, and semi-trained people that are interested in getting into it all. So, yeah, I mean, it's the... It's the, it's the it's as good as good as ever now yeah and to finish is there i mean i have my personal view on this but do you do you think there's a reason why that why now this fashion is back i mean is it to do with people like wes anderson timber and just showing what's possible or is it that there's this kind of 
desire for the handmade and for the real in our digital world? I mean, all, all these things. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a very relevant question because there's your um, everything. We're surrounded by huge CG, very amazing visual effects based shots in movies and commercials and everything like that. Um, and um, we did a, we did an exhibition at the end of um, Isle of Dogs, which is on for ten days at the Strand, and fifty eight thousand people went to see it. Uh, and the one thing that came over was like, wow, this is amazing to see. These are the real things, yeah. and see that they've been moved around and people's sort of imagination gets carved up by the fact that it's a physical thing it doesn't when it's behind a computer screen there's no tangible thing when you show somebody a puppet as i've showed you guys today and you're like oh, wow it's that it's only this big and yet it did all these things that i think enhances the experience and what we found is that people are as a are very interested by the behind the scenes stuff and that knowing that these things have been made connects you to them better than it does if you in a room that's green yeah. and you don't know what's there or what's going to be there then how can you connect so well whereas this thing is actually a physical thing in a miniature world on the set in front of you it's a very you know real experience so i think people there's a little bit of a kick back against too much um computer generated imagery yeah. And the need for a, a broader spectrum of things that it gives you these things that are, you know, uh, quite amazing things to see in the flesh. Indeed. Long live the real, I say. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh, well, thanks so much for talking to us. It was fascinating to talk to you and hear about everything. Mm. Uh, and you can read more about stop motion, but also Wes Anderson and so on on the Creative Review website at creativereview.co.uk. Thanks, Andy.